Hello, I'm Eowyn, and I love books. In fact, I was born on National Book Lovers Day. I was going to read books aloud on my podcast, and if you wanted to hear me do that, please search Born on Book Lovers Day. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to Christopher's Classes. This is class three of the film theory and history class. And we are discussing Nosferatu from 1922. Um, As I said last week, this is pretty much a direct ripoff of Dracula. Though I don't think it's spoilers for Dracula. Um, If you haven't read Dracula yet and you've seen Nosferatu, there's still tons to get out of the book. Really, the setups are the same. Um, The characters in Nosferatu have their comparisons in Dracula. But, um, of course, when they were trying to get around the copyright thing, this wasn't Dracula. So... His name isn't Dracula, it's Count Orlok, and he's not moving to England, he's moving to Germany, where they were shooting the film. And, I mean, instead of Jonathan Harker, we have Hutter, and instead of Mina Harker, we have Ellen, and instead of Renfield, we have Scratch. And and there is a um, Van Helsing sort of character, but we more just see him in a classroom. Um, explaining what vampires are. So, this movie, of course, was supposed to be Dracula. And word got out that they were making it. The widow of Bram Stoker was trying to get Hollywood to make a Dracula film, which is just amazing to think of a time where they were trying to convince someone in Hollywood to make a movie with Dracula. But, um... At the time, no one was doing it until this film, but they didn't get the rights. So she sued. She won. Every copy was supposed to be destroyed. The really, like, they shouldn't have done this because it was very risky. But on top of that, the company that was making it, their goal was to be a horror um, producer, they were they were going to be Blumhouse before there was Blumhouse, and they were Prana Film, and this was everything. They put all their money into this because it was going to be so huge that they could kick off their entire um, their entire company based on this film. So it was part Blumhouse, part Iron Man. So. The director, F.W. Murnau, he had done The Head of Janus, and that was pretty much Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Actually, the technical title is Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But he did that without um, permission. He called it The Head of Janus. I don't know if the family or um, what was up with Robert Louis Stevenson at the time, but he didn't get caught. 
And so he thought he could do it again with Nosferatu, and it didn't work out. So everything was supposed to be destroyed. But like today, people want to see things. There was hype around this film, and it turns out to be really good. So what happens, like, someone obviously saved a copy. And it started getting shown in, like, black market, backroom kind of things. And it was distributed anyway, but people were making their own copies and things like that. So this movie ends up, sadly, doing what Prana Film thought it would. But since there was the lawsuit and since it's all underground, um, they see none of that and they tank immediately. F.W. Murnau, he continues to make films. He made films before, he makes films afterwards. So, there is Nosferatu. It is not Dracula. And actually, um, the second time I watched it, um, I watched it with my kids, and this was their first time seeing it. But um, there's a music hall in Portsmouth, and every Halloween they show a silent film, and they have the band The Army of Broken Toys come and do a live soundtrack for it. And so for that viewing with my kids, um, all the live soundtracks are on um, Bandcamp or SoundCloud. No, it's Bandcamp. And it's a what you want. So if you just want to check it out, you could put zero. If you want to throw them some bucks, go ahead and put in a higher number but I'll give you that link in the description but we listened to that while we watched the movie we went to the Amazon Prime link and watched the movie on silent and had this playing through the speakers and it was great um but that starts with the lead singer head guy they they aren't singing and this is all instrumental but the head guy saying something like is everybody ready for not Dracula this was a long way around for that line, but definitely Army of Broken Toys, their soundtrack is very cool with this. Like, I would just turn it on, and then when it feels like the movie started, hit play on your um, computer, DVD player, whatever you're using to watch this. Okay, so back to the actual movie. So, yes, it does share the fact that it's a vampire and it's the same setup as Dracula. We have um, Graf Orlock or Count Orlock and he has gotten in with this real estate agent and he Knock is part of that and so is Hutter and he's going to buy a house in Germany. Essentially things have not worked out in Transylvania or wherever he is and people are realizing oh he's an inhuman monster they put garlic crosses things like that so he can't get to them so lunch is hard so he's going to move to England where people are smart and don't believe in things like that so it's a lot easier to attack people I'm sorry, he's not moving to England. That's the book, Germany, in this, because it's a German production. So the setup is pretty much um, that the Count is planning on moving, and he there, there's almost a whole mini-story in whether or not Hutter will get out of the 
castle. And he does. He ends up getting back to Germany, but so does Orlok. And he is um, definitely there's Hutter and Ellen, and then there's Nock and Orlok who have some weird psychological connection. And those are the alliances formed. The inciting incident is him getting into Germany. Um, People are dying and Ellen and Hutter are freaking out there. Oh, while he was in the castle, some before he got to the castle, I'm sorry, someone slipped him a book and he looked at it while he was in the castle. It was a book about vampires and how to handle vampires because someone thought he you need that. And that book, we will get to that. That is like movie staple thingy. Um, in the book, <laughs> in the book Dracula, it's a crucifix that he's given. But here it's a book. So he gets home and things are getting bad. And Ellen finds out what this creature was. And she's realizing it's not just a normal plague that's killing people, but it's this monster. And she starts reading the book. It looks like like knock is loose they're going with parades of coffins down the street and she reads the book and finds out that if a pure and virtuous woman welcomes the vampire in and lets him take some of her blood and keeps him there till morning the sun rays will destroy him and so the final confrontation, Ellen versus Orlock, and she lets him have some blood and keeps him there till morning. And poof, he's gone in a fade sweep special effect with some smoke. Now, that's your general um, story arc of Nosferatu. The book is the major... Um, thing that this movie brings to the vampire mythos not that a lot of vampire stories have a book but you've seen that in horror movies and sci-fi those kind of things where you gotta stop someone's got this mystic answer and I don't like that nearly as much as the Dracula novel because that one they you know there's a lot of discussion It's, it's a novel and it's almost Socratic in their delving into um, what legends are there about vampires. And then on top of that, what do we know about the nature of evil? And based on that, what can we figure out about his movements and how to stop him? And like, there's all this like heavy thought that goes into it. And um, there's just no time for that in this movie. And it's silent large amounts of dialogue and speeches really hard in a silent film. So we cut down to a book that instead of having to figure out all this stuff and have it be like internal struggles and stuff, it's like, no, step one, step two, step three, vampire's dead. And it it really cuts things down. Now, the vampire can go out during the day in Nosferatu. He 
takes his hat off at night because he can be free to be a vampire, but in the day he wears his hat. And for some reason, that makes people think he's human. Yeah, that's another thing they really changed from the book because Dracula, when he's out and about, is attractive. He's a lovely older man or a lovely younger man, depending on the moment. And he really... um is not monstrous in the way he looks immediately, but like when he is feeding and after he's fed, it becomes disgusting and it's worse because he's so lovely kind of thing. Nosferatu, you see him without his hat. You just know, oh, you're a subhuman gargoyle thing. And that happens like right away um, with the coffin. But, where was I going with this? Yes, the um, book. So here he's a monster. We know this right away. He has power over life and death, sort of. We don't get like him creating slaves or anything like that with his vampireness. Um, that's cut away for expedience with the movie. Now, actually, let me stop here. Movies are different than books. I realize this movie's a weird thing because they're more ripping things off than trying to adapt the book. But just by the nature of it being a different medium, most of the times, if you tell a story with a different medium, you have changed the story. You have to change the story. Or, like, you need a constant narration and you're just kind of acting out and it's just a live audiobook. So, and even with that, most books are more than two hours to read. So you have to do compression. You have to change things. There's no need for a lot of like scenery description because you're just going to show it. So in this, they they took out the slaves. They took out um, a lot of the psychological stuff. And instead of the symbolism revolving around love and lust and um, proper marriage and these weird um, monster assault versions of it, as well as um, contrasting Jesus symbolism. There's a ton of Jesus symbolism in the Dracula book. And Dracula himself is sort of like an anti-Jesus who takes your blood to give you eternal death, that sort of thing. Um Count Orlock is a lot more straightforward what we think of as a movie monster. It's a much simpler story. And he can go out during the day. But like Dracula in the book, he prefers to be out at night because that's when his powers are strongest. Um, the book actually goes in and talks about, like, there's nocturnal animals, and they may come out at the day. That's not their best time. Like, they're made for night, so they do better at night, but they can be out in the day. Um, that's the only day-night thing for Dracula. And here we have um, the sun itself if he comes out during the day the sun's rays if he has the blood of an innocent in him 
then I don't know something about dawn and morning and morning is broken and innocent blood and he can't handle it and he just poofs away. This serves as a template for every Dracula thing after this. Like the idea of Dracula not being able to survive in the sun like he's the um, ogre things at the beginning of The Hobbit, that is everywhere. And if you want to go back to the Bram Stoker book, which the funny thing is there is an explanation. They do discuss it in the Bram Stoker book, but you have to explain people to people that he can be out in the sun. Nosferatu changed all that, and it makes it just so much easier because you don't have to have as much discussion. You've got an easy way to destroy him. You just need to fight him until morning comes, and boom, you're done. So what else do we get in this movie? It is, like I said, simplistic in its... um ideas compared to the novel but it has some neat ideas now Nosferatu here is not representing love and lust or Jesus and anti-Jesus he is a plague bringer Nosferatu the word itself I guess means plague bringer or sounds like some German words that are about that it was made up for the movie I'm not totally sure but I know that whatever the intent of the name Nosferatu is supposed to be plague bringer. The Spanish flu had ran through Germany prior to this, and now we have um, people who remember these things, who remember the coffins going down the street, and here it is again. There are rats with him everywhere, of course, Dracula is more associated with bats, though there are rats involved. But um, this guy has rats everywhere because rats bring plague. And so they're the harbingers of the plague coming. He is this physical manifestation of the plague. And it's a compelling, interesting story. The special effects and the makeup, I think, are really good. Like, once again... I don't think anyone's really fooled by what they're seeing. Um, And that's not a slight to them. It's just we've seen so many movies and so many behind-the-scenes thing. It's like if I explain a magic trick to you and you see a magician do it perfectly, you probably know how he did it. So the other thing to think about this, though, is you'll see these things like the coffin lid going up on top of him. It's done well. It's stop frame animation. It is obvious to us. But here's the thing. This is the beginning of movie making. So not only this guy wasn't like, okay, I need the coffin lid to go on top. Should I use traditional animation? Should I use stop frame animation? Or should I use cables and have it go up? No, he had to, like, come up with, oh, what if I moved the lid a little and took another film? Moved the lid a little and took another film. He he had to get that idea down on celluloid. So that's another thing about this is just the general inventiveness and 
artistic prowess of these early films because there was no template. No one had done these things before. I don't know if he saw stop frame somewhere else, but it's just cool that these things are coming up and they're new and fresh and it's not just obviously this is the way we do it. Like today, you see something weird, you just assume computer animation. But then they they had to figure out a lot more and they couldn't rest on anything. And I also think that's an exciting thing. No matter how much technology you have, if you don't feel you can rely on it, then you are going to be more creative and your product is going to have more long-lasting um rewatchability like if you look at Lord of the Rings he was never like lots of computers were used he didn't rely on computers he had tons of money but not really enough money to make that movie so it was made with a lot of like indie film creativity and that's why even the stuff we can see through today it's not it's still rewatchable because they did everything they could to present the story. And I think that's what we're seeing in Nosferatu. There's no cheats. They are doing everything they artistically can to tell the story. Okay, and this is also German Expressionism. German Expressionism is going to be all over this um, class. It's We talked about it with the... Um, cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Actually, the set designer for that came on to this one. And it, this is, you're seeing it filtered out. Dr. Caligari, like everything was a set. Like they just painted shadows on things. They, you know, if it was a house, it was a piece of wood that they painted to look like a house, complete with shadows, and they painted in the depth it has a very like stepped into a pop-up book kind of feel. Well, they got that guy again here. And what you can see is using those principles in the way they shoot things. Now, when you get inside and especially the creature itself and the shadow, it is just amazing what they accomplish with that. And it looks great. That's why you still see it referenced everywhere. I'm, I guarantee like if you are like over 20 and okay don't guarantee feel free tell me if this is wrong but if you're over 20 and you watch this movie for the first time when you started this when he walked up those stairs you recognized that shadow because it's still around Nosferatu shows up on Spongebob these images are arresting and interesting and well-composed, so we keep seeing them. People want to emulate them. Just like Caligari, they wanted to emulate Caligari, but take it to a different level, try to bring Caligari into the real world. And I think that really works in that Orlock is kind of the German expressionism, the nightmare monster entering into the real world. And it's just that next step. It's almost like an artistic Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like, <laughs> what if these things that we've only seen in paintings came into our world? And so you get amazing shots, like him coming up on the cargo lift and things like that. And um, the 
trick they do with raising him out of the coffin looks wonderful. The hands, it's it's an amazing film. I really enjoy it. I do, like, I like subtext and things like that. I like a lot to talk about with what's going on, and you've probably noticed that, which is why I keep dropping down into Dracula while talking about Nosferatu. But I love the way this movie looks. And these images are just startling and I, I want to say beautiful, but he's pretty ugly. It's funny, my 13-year-old daughter has decided that he looks kind of like a cute guinea pig, and she calls him the guinea pig man. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. So, what else are we seeing here? We're seeing stage acting. Um, more close-ups than you're getting in American films, but... Um, because they're not afraid to show the actors in our next movie. You're going to see that even more. But uh, I just noticed um, we're we're in Germany now. We're going to go to France next. And I think what you're seeing is like there's always international film. But as far as American film, um, American film was highly influenced by these foreign films and at this point they still could be because like I said it's a silent film to translate it into English you don't need to overdub you don't need to match mouths anything like that you just need to put a different card in like those actors were giving their performance in German so the cards originally were written in German but it can be translated to anything just by putting in a different card so I think you get more international influence at first. Um, I think after this, yeah, we go to France, and I think we stay solidly in America with one trip to Japan for Godzilla. Okay, so being looking for other signs of German expressionism in the upcoming films, if this film really excited you and you want to see more, Obviously, the you can go through the known ones I mentioned, like Dr. Kiligari, um, Cabinet of Dr. Kilgari. Um, the Man Who Laughed is technically not German Expressionism because it was American, but it <laughs> tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. German Expressionism was becoming big, so they got this director who did German Expressionism to come to America and do that kind of film. That one, um, sound had started, you, we were starting to get talkies. They still did that as silent with cards, with the exception of the studio also owned a record company and they had the female lead sing their new hit song in the middle of it. See, nothing, <laughs> nothing is new. But um, The Man Who Laughed and Dr. Kilgari and um, also Metropolis, which is a sci-fi version. So you've got the really expressionistic German stuff with the painted walls. Then you have Nosferatu with more realism. The Man Who Laughed is um, actually trying to be a realistic period piece. It's about a man who... 
I'm trying to remember why, but as a child, he ticked off this king that liked to torture people in fun and different ways. And one of the things he would do is a surgery to your mouth that clips open your cheeks so you constantly have this big ghoulish grin. And um, as soon as you see him, you will notice his pop culture icon because um, Bill Finger and who was the other person who worked on it i don't remember and i feel bad so some comic book fan go ahead and correct me um the joker was based on the joker playing card you often see associated with the character and the man who laughed and there's often joker um related comic book titles that are plays on the joke the man who laughed there's a new comic book called the joker who laughed no the batman who laughed is that it? I don't know. I'm not really into that character. But um, the, the, the new one with the spikes in his eyes. But the original Joker was based on the man who laughed. And you will notice that um, every film version, except for Cesar Romero, because they didn't really get into this. But starting with Tim Burton, the Joker always has damage to his face Tim Burton was obviously going off the man who laughed with the split bullet hitting um either side of his cheeks and thus pulling up his face in the grin um Heath Ledger with the scars Jared Leto with the broken teeth that's more abstract and I just in case you haven't seen Joker I I won't get into that but Obviously, Tim Burton is also a place to go if you're enjoying this. Uh, you, you see Batman, and he went with the man who laughed. But then when you get to Batman Returns, the Penguin is kind of Dr. Caligari. And um, one of the characters that's actually named Max Shrek, who is the guy who played um, Count Orlock. That's the name of the actor. So, yeah, from here, you could look at Tim Burton films, especially like Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, you're going to see a ton, a ton of German expressionism all over the place. Same thing with the Batman movies, um, Tim Burton's too, and things like that. Even Beetlejuice has some of it. There's also a movie called Shadow of the Vampire, which is a horror movie based on, or suspense, based on the making of Nosferatu. I will warn you, there is one nude scene for a moment with a girl who's on drugs. But that one is proposing that this movie was made by an obsessive director who, to get the vampire to look right, hired an actual vampire and promised him he could um, kill the lead actress at the end. Okay, so there are some other movies you can watch if you want to go around Nosferatu. If you have any questions about Nosferatu, German Expressionism, or anything else having to do with film we've talked about or have not yet talked about, feel free, email me, leave a message with the link in the description. Um let us know and we will try to answer them next week or next time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really going week by week and you can listen to these whenever you want. 
Next, we're going to go to The Passion of Joan of Arc. This is a French silent film. Um, I will have a link in the description where you can see it really easily. Um, I think it's Vimeo that I have, but um, you want to turn on the subtitles because that one, it's a great transfer. It looks wonderful, but all their cards are in French, so you got to read the English on the bottom of the card. This is... Um, France wanted a movie made of one of their heroes, and there were three given. Um, the director came in. He actually went through and read all the transcripts of Joan's trials and made The Passion of Joan of Arc. So if you don't know who Joan of Arc is, like, check Wikipedia or something. Like, just read a bit about her because it definitely assumes you know, you know, she was helping to get the... English out of France. I believe the trial actually takes place in France. But um, yeah, check Wikipedia, read a little about Joan of Arc if you don't know who she is, and then watch The Passion of Joan of Arc. I'll also tell you Viggo Mortensen, who was Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, he, I guess, either started a film company or had a small distribution company back when you things had to be on DVD to put this movie on DVD. Because at that point, if it wasn't on DVD, you pretty much couldn't see it without a lot of work. And that wasn't. And he just thought it was wrong to live in a world where you couldn't watch Passion of Joan of Arc. And I've read interviews with him where the interviewer like starts with, and he gave me a DVD of The Passion of Joan of Arc and explained that it was his company that put it out because you need to be able to see that. So yeah, that's next week. Um kind of are we getting away from monsters you'll have to watch that movie and see what you think okay and um check out the army of broken toys their soundtrack for nosferatu is pretty cool and they actually have some for some of the other movies the man who laughed i think metropolis i don't know if they did the cabinet but um i'll give you a link to their band camp thank you so much for joining us on christopher's classes